And it is Thursday. Hello to you, Dan. What's happening, Buzz? How's your Thursday? Uh, my Thursday is little... interesting. I started out uh, in Ashfield where it was white. Not a lot of white, but mm. a couple of inches of white. And a nice familiar look, looking out the window. And as I drove down into the valley, the grass started picking up. And it got slushier and uglier. And <laughs> now here we are. And all it is is brown. So Winter um, is approaching. Winter is approaching. The moral of the story is it's always better in them narrow hills than it is here in the valley. <laughs> but somebody who really knows about that is Brian Adams, who always tells me, don't confuse weather with climate. And here we are. I think today we're going to talk about our favorite uh, East Coast River, the Connecticut. Is that right, Brian? We are. And um, this year is the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act, which had a remarkable ability to transform uh, our, our rivers. And we're going to talk a lot about that. And it's the 70th anniversary of the Connecticut River Conservancy, uh, was once called the Connecticut River Watershed Council, now the Connecticut River Conservancy. And we're really fortunate today to have on Ron Rhodes. Ron is the interim executive director at the Connecticut River Conservancy, uh, formerly the director of restoration, and maybe that will be his future job as well. Ron, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. So let's talk about this Clean Water Act, 50 years. It's amazing when we think of Republican presidents, how much interesting environmental legislation uh, Nixon signed in the late 60s and early 1970s, and the Clean Water Act was one of those signature environmental pieces of legislation. The Connecticut River was referred to as the most beautifully landscaped sewer in the country, not a compliment at all. Uh, what's taken place in the last 50 years, Ron? Good news for the Connecticut River? Yeah, indeed, lots of progress with the Clean Water Act and with um, local you know, governments, local towns, communities, and organizations like Connecticut River Conservancy all working together. You know, we work with uh, local landowners, farmers who are interested in improving water quality. We work with obviously state and federal agencies. Um, we were just in the town of Springfield down with talking to city officials recently. So, you know, everybody pitching in and using the Clean Water Act and the, and the basis of that law to help, you know, reduce and eliminate pollutants in the Connecticut River and the tributaries like the Miller. So it's, it's interesting, uh, Ron, I find so few people, including really uh, sort of esteemed colleagues who don't know where their sewage goes. I and mean, once they flush the toilet, it's sort of out of sight, out of mind. Um, but it really isn't. I mean, sewage treatment is a, is a marvelous invention uh, and really got a step forward with the Clean Water Act in, in, in 1972. And whenever you flush the toilet within the Connecticut River Valley, ultimately it goes into the Connecticut River. How are we doing in terms of sewage uh, treatment plants and water quality on the river? It's a very expensive uh, issue to deal with, um, combined sewer overflows. You'll hear folks talk about CSOs, combined sewer overflows. Um, that's, you know, a lot of money is going into improving our infrastructure that is, let's face it, you know, decades old and not capable of 
holding up to both a cl- changed climate that we're living in, but also with more people and more development. So the city of Springfield, for example, has spent um, a lot of money. Uh, Folks down in Connecticut have spent billions of dollars to improve their wastewater treatment uh, facilities. More work has to be done. Certainly there is more money to be spent and more improvements to be spent. And some of that is um, technology and updating old facilities and trying to meet those, you know, standards, the chemical, physical, biological standards that were set out in the Clean Water Act. And really, when you think about the Clean Water Act, it's, I always think about it as its underlying basis is that we can't go backwards, right? So our our water quality is, is at certain levels, the Mill River, or the Connecticut River or any other uh, tributaries, you know, we have impaired waters in some cases or some stretches of rivers. It could be impaired for E. coli from sewer or manure runoff from farms. It could be impaired for dissolved oxygen. And those issues have to be addressed and those, you know, that costs money. And so it is a very complex problem. It takes years to figure out the solution or the exact source of the problem. You know, it takes a lot of data and a lot of time and then a lot of money to go out and fix them. One thing that I think is so interesting with with sewage treatment is that we allow all of these, you know, bugs or microorganisms to do this biological control. Bugs that work for us, it's, it's really pretty cool. And a lot of the basis of sewage treatment plan is creating this ideal habitat for microorganisms and allowing them to chomp on organic oxygen demanding waste so it doesn't get into the river, which is which is really cool. Um, the Connecticut River, correct me if I'm wrong, Ron, is is rated on a basis of letters A, B, C, D. A is drinkable. There's really no such thing as drinkable rivers. B is swimmable and recreational. And, and C is uh, getting a little iffy for those kinds of activities. How does the Connecticut River rate? Yeah, again, it's it's different in every uh, state or section, right? There are um, Im- impaired waters for different criteria. Um, so it's not like the Connecticut River has a grade per se. Um, it, generally speaking, the river is healthy. It's safe to go out and swim and fish and boat on a normal day um, if there's a big rainstorm or some sort of you know a cso event where the sewage has overflowed into the river um, you know then in those windows uh, it's it can be you know detrimental to your health and it's not safe for recreation we actually have a water quality monitoring program we have uh, staff and volunteers and partners that go out and take water samples at 150 locations throughout the entire watershed. We have a website, it's called Is It Clean? And that information is loaded onto that website so people can go out to that website and see their favorite swimming hole, you know, and get some information and some historical information about the health of the river in that stretch that they might be recreating in. The general rule of thumb is if the river is high and muddy, it's probably, you know, better to stay out of it. 
Um, maybe, you know, in your boat is fine, but not in it, you know, where you might have a cut on your skin and you can get uh, E. coli bacteria. And, you know, every once in a while that, that can lead to a real health problem or, or worse for some folks. It's certainly much cleaner than it was pre-1972. I remember as a, a kid swimming in rivers and there'd be big signs that would say, um, do not, no swimming, do not swim. Swimming is hazardous to your health. Uh, run away, run away. Uh, don't even read this sign anymore. And as a kid, <laughs> yeah. of course, I'd turn around and just jump right on in. It's, it's made me the man I am today. Yes. Um, I've, got, I've uh, got a lot of friends, you know, a lot of friends who are fishermen that grew up and, you know, their rule was their parents always told them, you swim above the sewage plant, you fish below it. Mm. <laughs> this is go. this is Buzz, um, Ron. And so uh, Brian's guest today is Ron Rhodes, the interim director, executive director of the Connecticut River Conservancy. So the uh, we're celebrating the, the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act. But before that was the Federal Water Pollution Control Act from the 40s. I think it was 45 or 46 for a long time. 48. But um, it wasn't really enforceable until the stronger basic structure for regulation um, for discharges into waters happened in 1972 with the Clean Water Act. But I'm wondering what role the conservancy plays in enforcing uh, toxins and discharges into the, in this case, Connecticut. Yeah, you know, all of us, since the river belongs to all of us, right? Uh, us as uh, individuals and taxpayers, we all have the right under the Clean Water Act to um, sue and help enforce, help the states and the federal government, the U.S. EPA, enforce those standards. Um, that does happen. CRC has sued under the Clean Water Act in previous cases. Other organizations like Conservation Law Foundation, who has, you know, staff full of lawyers to do that kind of work. Uh, Save the Sound down in Connecticut has sued uh, towns or cities under the Clean Water Act for specific violations. Um, so that's how it's generally used in enforcement um you know the state and federal governments are using it to meet those standards they have what they call a total maximum daily load and it's a terrible uh word uh, phrase acronym tmdl but that is basically um a maximum pollutants that are allowed and then also a tool for restoring that stream to its previous condition before that event occurred. So Ron, if I, as a, as a citizen, uh, observe either uh, apparent pollution in the waters or somebody actually violating uh, the, water, the river by putting toxins into it, who do I call? What do I do? Um, yes, you, you do have the right to pursue that. Um, if you can show that you were, you were harmed by that or um, affected by it um, and how you would go about that. I mean, obviously, ultimately, it's a legal uh, battle. And that's why, you know, organizations that have lawyers on staff are often the, the ones that enforce that for us. But, you know, if an individual were to see that, they could call, you know, Connecticut River Conservancy or one of those other organizations I just mentioned 
and bring the um, the issue forward. Uh, that's what happened in the case. I think it was 2015 when we sued. Um, someone, you know, alerted us to uh, an issue in Massachusetts with a farm and, and continual pollution. And essentially, the farm was not abiding by the state uh, regulations, nor were they willing to work with the state or us to fix the problems. And so ultimately, we had to sue under the Clean Water Act to to get that uh, changes and those improvements made. Ultimately, you know, that's a, that's a long process, right? It's an expensive process. So there are other ways that we try to work. You know, you try to work with people, right? We try to work with the town, with the landowner, with the dam owners, whoever it might be, um, because they're uh, hopefully are less costly and less time-consuming ways to go about improving um, the issue and getting that water quality back to those standards. And good good work costs money, and good water quality costs money as well. So it often is a dipping into the finances, financial resources of towns or the states or the federal government as well. We're talking with Ron Rhodes. Ron is the interim executive director for the Connecticut River Conservancy. We're talking all things Connecticut River. We're going to take a short break right now, and we'll be back with more Connecticut River Talk. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. What's the latest news from Beacon Hill? And now that ballot question one has passed, how will the nearly $2 billion in new annual revenue be spent? Join us when we speak with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. Plus, we'll speak with Connecticut River Defenders about Saturday's important environmental protests in Northfield. All this beginning Friday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. It happens all over Massachusetts. In every home and every community. Be careful on your bike. Learning can happen anytime, anywhere. We'll see you at practice this weekend. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. I'm Jacqueline Willette. I've been a nurse at Cooley Dickinson for 15 years the last seven as the nursing director of inpatient behavioral health. Community hospitals are essential for the health, healing, and well-being for our local community. And it's a privilege and pleasure to take care of our community, of you and the people you love. During this season of thanks, we're grateful to the community that supports us through your kind words, generous gifts, and legacy plans. Please visit us at cooleydickinson.org slash giving. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. 
we answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you, until now. Now when you call, we'll answer, and if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it, and if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we're talking this afternoon with Ron Rhodes. Ron is the interim executive director at the Connecticut River Conservancy. Um, Ron, damn if I don't love New England, but damn if we don't live in one of the most damned areas of the country, right? In certain places in the northern region of the Connecticut River, it's really nothing more than ponds behind dams. The Deerfield, one of the largest tributaries of the Connecticut, is I think more dams per river mile than maybe any other river in the, in the, in the country. And a lot of these are hydroelectric power dams. Uh, and you know, it's a wonderful from a renewable energy perspective, but boy, will they or can they create havoc with river flow, with fish passage, particularly migratory fish like shad, lamprey. You're involved in not only relicensing agreements with dams, but in also certain cases tearing down dams. Is that correct? Yeah, our restoration prog uh, program involves removing old dams that are no longer in use, so not flood control dams or current, you know, hydro power dams, but old mill dams, um, sometimes old dams that were built back in the, you know, 30s or 20s as just to create a swimming hole for folks. And so people, often these are owned by individuals now that have, you know, they didn't build the dam, they just bought the property and all of a sudden they became a dam owner. And that comes with, you know, liability issues, it comes with insurance issues, it comes with actual cost. Um, most of the states have a dam safety program. So if you own a dam, it actually costs you money. Um, the state has to come out and inspect it. And if it's gonna, you know, lead to a, a potential hazard like loss of life or loss of property, you know, you're on the hook as the dam owner. So we've removed uh, 20 dams just in the last little over, uh, well, basically in the last decade, um, working with those private dam owners to get those uh, old pieces of concrete that are falling apart out of the river, and that. Improves the river for recreational access for us, improves the uh, fish passage. Fish can now swim up and downstream for miles and miles that, you know, was blocked off previously. And it improves water quality. Back to our earlier conversation, you know, that dissolved oxygen, warmer water temperature, warmer water temperatures uh, when that water is trapped behind a dam. Uh, sediment, you know, naturally supposed to be moving through the system and downstream, and the dams trap that sediment. So there's a lot, lot of environmental benefits to doing those dam removals, but like everything else, it costs money, and, and we're out there writing grants and working with state and federal agencies to try to find the funds to do those projects. 
And Ron, you're also involved in relicensing agreements with some of the bigger dam owners on the main stem of the Connecticut River, as well as some of the major tributaries like the Deerfield. Can you talk about your work with those relicensing agreements? Yeah, Connecticut River Conservancy and, and Watershed Council before that have been involved um, throughout the watershed over the years, 15, maybe 20 years ago, uh, up in northern Vermont and New Hampshire. Uh, the 15 Miles Falls dams were relicensed, and CRC and other organizations were part of those agreements. Lots of studies have to take place, um, and then uh, hopefully uh, the dam owners agree to uh, settlements with uh, the organizations involved and the federal and state agencies. Um, so the FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, oversees that process. And it is a long process. It takes usually anywhere from five to 10 years. And we're going through that right now with five dams, uh, the Turner's Falls and Northfield Mountain in Mass, and then the three uh, lower dams in Vermont and New Hampshire. Um, two different dam owners in those cases. Uh, you have First Light Power in, in the Massachusetts dams and then uh, Great River Hydro, although they just were sold. They have a new name now um, on the upper three dams that we've been working on. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a, I forget what year we're on now. It's been at least five years, a little more than that. We have only two well, more minutes, amazing. but be, before we run out of time, can you tell folks how to get in touch with the Conservancy and how to donate or volunteer? Yes, thank you. Um, ctriver.org is the website. Uh, we are located in Greenfield, Mass., so folks can always uh, call or check out the online sources, whether it's the website or Facebook page, etc. Um, we have a lot of volunteer opportunities, especially during the nicer uh, summer months, you know, spring, summer, and fall. We have tree planting projects. We have trash cleanup, lots of uh, invasive species, plant removal um, people can go out and help our citizen science teams do um, in-stream surveys. So lots of opportunities for people to get involved if they're interested. And then, as you said, we are a membership organization. Um, we have uh, members who donate their time, treasure, and talent. Um, they, all three of those are always appreciated. Uh, on the website, there's a donate button. Uh, it's the end of the year, so if folks are thinking about doing their uh, end of year giving and our fans of the Connecticut River or one of its tributaries like the Mill River, they can uh, certainly uh, help us with those um, work that we're doing by making a donation. And all of us should be concerned about the Connecticut River. It is the most, uh, used to be the most beautifully landscaped sewer in the country, now just a beautiful river. And our really New England River, 410 miles from the Canadian border all the way to Long Island Sound. We've been talking with Ron Rhodes. Ron is the interim executive director for the Connecticut River Conservancy. So many more things that we didn't get to, like uh, more on your role as director of restoration. Uh, uh, Buzz had on Monday a guest talking about some of the problems with the Northfield Mountain Pumping Station. We didn't get your thoughts on that. But Ron, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. 
And we'll have to have you back on all things to do with the Connecticut River. Our uh, precious Buzz, what do we got for the second half hour? Well, we, it, it, I'm very excited. We have Glenn Siegel, who for years hosted the uh, music program at WMA, uh, WMUA for decades, actually. He is now going to be taking sharing the Take 5 segment every other week uh, with uh, Ruth Griggs, who does such a fantastic job. And he's going to be talking about uh, a series which he has initiated at the Northampton Center for the Arts called A World of Piano, Jazz Piano Series. And we're going to have the first artist who's going to appear at tonight's opening salvo of that series. So, uh, Brian, as always, thank you so much. Uh, you, you keep me a lifelong learner by listening to your segment and uh, talking with your guests. So thanks so much. Everybody else has Thank you. It's Connecticut River Conservancy. It relies on membership and volunteers. So just look them up and hit that button. Everybody else, we're going to be right back after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A body was recovered from the canal in Holyoke this morning. Holyoke police are conducting an investigation, but did not specify if foul play was involved. A portion of Route 2 in Greenfield from Home Depot to the Shelburne Line was closed this morning due to a motor vehicle accident. The incident took place around 7 a.m. in the area of 386 Mohawk Trail. A multiple car crash resulted in a car fire with crews on scene for several hours. Greenfield Fire also closed from Colerain Road to Old Greenfield Road in Shelburne. The City of Greenfield and the Franklin Community Co-op announced the sale of the Wilsons Building at 258 Main Street. The community builders in mass development with the City of Greenfield have signed a purchase and sale agreement to buy and redevelop the building. Here's Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner. It's really exciting. It's great space. They've also purchased a piece of property that was part owned by Wilson's on Chapman Street. Greenfield's Market will be expanding with their relocation to the first floor and basement of Wilson's. The community builders will redevelop other parts of the building to create approximately 65 mixed-income rental homes. And Amherst Town Manager Paul Bockelman is getting high reviews for job performance once again, but the council is hoping for an improved relationship with UMass. The town council released their individual performance reviews of Bockelman with good marks. However, there is concern there are too many demands placed on him. The Gazette reporting the council would also like to see Bockelman improve morale with the police department and include more voices from black, indigenous, and people of color communities in shaping policy. Partly sunny this afternoon. Watch out for a few flurries. High of 42 to 46. Scattered clouds tonight. Overnight low 24 to 30. Partly to mostly sunny breezy tomorrow. A high of 40 to 44. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. But I don't see wine here, Ringo. What do you got? Well, who am I? You're the spirit guy. Uh-oh. So you're taking me down the road of spirit. So our next whiskey is going back to traditions here. Uh, this is Port Eskeg, eight-year-old single malt scotch. So it's actual scotch? This is Scotland scotch, mm -hmm. scotchy scotch scotch. This is an Isla single malt, peatier in style. This one does not suffer supply chain issues because you wouldn't be giving it to us if it did, right? Correct. It says Port Eskeg, which is a location, but it's an independent bottler that gives them their whiskey. Because there's so many different approaches on whiskey, I 
really try and hit everything with a very open mind as far as what can be good. This one got 95 points at the, the Ultimate Spirits Challenge. Well, I think this is very good. And how much is this single mall? This is 66.99, so it's kind of right in that low to mid entry level price point. Find your favorite whiskey and your next favorite whiskey at State Street. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's shop Friday? Kohl's Building Supply? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Kohl's Building Supply in North Amherst provides the quality materials for any home improvement project. Visit the Kitchen Design Showroom, the Benjamin Moore Paint Store, or their Flooring Showroom. You'll find a caring team with the knowledge and expertise to answer all your questions. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. at whmp.com. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the Afternoon Buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And thanks for joining us, those that are just joining us. Thanks for staying with us, those who have been with us. And, uh, you know, I got I to gotta kind of rewind the tape here. About a year and a half ago when I was uh, invited to host this show, one of the things I immediately said is, you know, I love the jazz scene here in the Valley. It's important to me to make that part of this program. And uh, I was told, of course, you know, you can you can do that. So we've been really lucky. I've been really lucky to be here in studio every Thursday with the Take 5 uh, uh, segment that happens at 4.30. And Ruth Griggs has been carrying the load um, along with Bruce Nimzik. Well... Bruce is down in Florida, wintering in Florida, and uh, we needed another host, and the first name that came to mind was the long-time jazz. He's a, he's a jazz historian. He's a uh, as knowledgeable as, as they get, and he loves the music, and whatever he loves, I end up loving. His name is Glenn Siegel, and he's our new alternating host. Every other week, Glenn will be with us, giving us what we all love, good music. Buzz, thank you for that introduction. It's lovely to be here. I've been here uh, a couple of times as, as a guest, guest yeah. uh, with Ruth and Bruce. Uh, and so, with me about and three years ago. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's nice to be here um, uh, on the other side and uh, interviewing one of my new heroes, Lafayette Gilchrist. So it's really a thrill. I look forward to sharing some of the richness of uh, the jazz scene in the Valley with listeners uh, every other Thursday with Ruth. Fantastic. Thank you for being here. And you created a new series, which Lafayette is a part, right? Yes, it's a new old series. It's called A World of Piano, and uh, the title comes from a 1962 contemporary date by uh, great pianist Finest Newborn. Um, and I thought it kind of encapsulated the... Uh, ethos of the series, which is to present different sides of uh, the jazz coin, if you, as you will. And um, uh, so we're starting it again. It was a series that took place in 1995 and then from 2003 to 2013 when the Northampton Center for the Arts lost their space. 
So the, they were the producers of the show. And then after they lost the space, the, the series went away. Uh, now the center is uh, firmly ensconced on 33 Hawley Street in Northampton. And um, so Pioneer Valley Jazz Shares, which is the organization that I co-founded with my wife Priscilla Page, um, decided to revive the series. So tonight is the first night of the revival. Very exciting. Yeah, thank you. So, um, so I'll turn my attention to my guest, Lafayette Gilchrist, who's a pianist, composer, band leader, uh, was born in Washington, D.C., and now lives in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, Lafayette has performed with Cassandra Wilson, Macy Gray, Oliver Lake, Andrew Cyril, Oren Evans, Hamid Drake, William Parker, some of my heroes. He smokes. Yeah. He uh, leads an ensemble called New Volcanoes, which he's done since 1993, and also performs in trio and solo contexts. He performs tonight at the Arts Trust, 33 Hawley Street in Northampton at 7.30 p.m., Three, just under three hours from now, as part of A World of Piano, which is a, a series of three solo concerts produced by Pioneer Valley Jazz Shares and the Northampton Center for the Arts. So welcome, Lafayette. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's really nice to have you here live in the studio. Have you, have you ever played in Western Massachusetts or visited this area? Um, not specifically this area. No, I don't think yeah. so. How about Boston? You've been in Boston? Yes, I think I, I played the, uh, well, I, I understand it's no longer in existence, the Regatta Bar. Oh, no, the Regatta Bar is still there. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I played the Regatta Bar. Okay, uh, nice. A couple of times. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. So you're largely self-taught, uh, which is incredible to me. Tell us about that journey. Did you have teachers, mentors later on? Yes, yes. I had some teachers and mentors later on, but the initial the initial uh journey was um was really um I like to call it homemade. Mm -hmm. So some things were already kinda sort of homemade there. And then I, I later got um instruction and mentorship uh and 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 opportunities to shape that. Mm -hmm. you know, so. And you started relatively late, right? Uh, you were yeah. a teenager before you started. Seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, that's unusual, you know, to find you know musicians of your caliber who did not start when they were much younger. Yeah, yeah, I realized that, but um, well, I worked. I worked hard at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Pretty obviously, you have some natural talent. You were drawn to it right away? I mean, it was like... Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm, beautiful. So tell us a little bit about uh, playing with David Murray. I know you started playing with him in the late 90s. He's a hero of mine and, of course, one of the great saxophonists of our time. Um, how did you meet? And well, I, I met David in Baltimore um, when he came. Uh, he came to do a... Uh, um, uh, a solo bass clarinet concert at the uh, at the Baltimore Aquarium, uh, and I came and I met him. And uh, at the time, I had um, a little a small ensemble um, called New Volcanoes, and um, I was trying to get um, the band uh, more exposure, more work, and what have you. And he had um, he and his wife at the time had a um, promotion company in Paris, and so I sent them. Uh, <clears throat> he suggested that I send them something, and I sent them uh, uh, 
tape, uh, uh, I mean, a, a CD of the band. And I heard back from his wife, his company, within a week. And then uh, about maybe a month later, he was in town. And um, we ha um, hooked up and started to, to jam together. And then after, we had a long session. I mean, I think we went like the whole day, mm. you know, just jam and eat. We'd eat and jam. Wish know? I was a fly on that wall. Yeah, eat and jam, eat and jam. That's, all, that's what we did. We made a whole day of it. And then at the end of it, he, he said, listen, um, I want you to get a passport. I'll be calling you in a few days. Um, so I... I did what he said, and the rest is, uh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I know you told me you have a duo album with him coming out uh, yeah. at some point, yep. and uh, at some point, uh, it, have it, traveled it. the world with him. So, what what lessons did you learn playing in his ensembles? Oh man, I learned. I mean, I learned a lot about how to write, how to arrange, how to lead. Um, and how how to at the same time of doing that, you know, how to be, you know, loose enough to be a a part of that all, you know. So the ability to, to so the ability to, to whip it together, to organize it, to compose it, to arrange it, and then to, you know, become a part of it, you know, to assume a part within it. Mm -hmm. I learned that from him. Yeah, you know, as a band leader, mm -hmm. and, and, as, and, and as a as a, a musical conceptualist, you know, mm -hmm. and then just to play with him, you know, just to improvise with him, is you know, I I found it to be like just magical, just irresistible. Yeah, from then to today, mm -hmm. yeah. and it must have opened a lot of doors for you. Oh, as far absolutely. Career-wise. Yeah, I mean, literally, David literally plucked me from obscurity and put me onto um, a, a national and international stage. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and he's still going strong. The one original member of the World Saxophone Quartet who's still playing. Yes. Oliver Lake is still alive, but right, no yes. longer playing. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's Wait, a lot. Can I just interrupt? Like, yeah. Now, forget, what does that mean to learn to be a part of it? I mean... You have your own skill set, your own creativity. Mm -hmm. Are you molding to some to to his vision, or are you trying to well, no, assimilate I, to each other's? No, no, that definitely more towards the latter. You know, I mean, uh, you know, um, a, a band leader may come in with the initial um, idea or, or or lead, but once you once you give it to creative musicians and improvisers, then then it's yours to collectively shape. So what I'm saying, what I mean by that is Dave is very, very strong in both uh, abilities, the ability to, to both conceptualize it, bring that to realization, and then fall into a role that, um, that best serves that himself. I'm so jealous of you guys, really. <laughs> I know, it does seem magical skills. It is. Well, to be able to express your own message, but to be able to share a language with somebody else who's got his own, who understands that message but has his own way of expressing it, and to marry the two, mm -hmm. that's really, that makes for a great marriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. We're speaking with Lafayette Gilchrist, who's uh, playing tonight at 7.30 p.m. at the... Uh, 
Arts Trust Building, 33 Holly Street in Northampton, as part of A World of Piano, a series of three solo concerts. So I, I know that we can just go to the Northampton Center for the Arts, look for events, mm-hmm. and under that, I can see uh, here the tickets are on a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. They're available only 15 bucks to 35 bucks, and you can get a deal and get all three concerts. That is tonight's Fridays with Ron Stabinski and Saturdays with Marilyn Crispell. Get right. them all. Yeah. What else do you have to do? What else do you have to do? What a great thing to do. Thank you. We're going to be back with Lafayette Gilchrist and um, Glenn Siegel. I'm so excited. We got Glenn Siegel hosting right after these messages. is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Gordon Oliver here, so let's face it, our day-to-day lives always involve money, right? For many of us, money is always top of mind, but here at the Cambridge Connection, we want to help you reverse that trend. Every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP, my co-pilot, Tina Marie, and I bring you a variety of amazing experts who can help you navigate that daily financial maze of life and guide you to a better relationship with your money. Tune in as Donna French of Almighty Pet Connect helps you avoid scam artists when you're finding your next pet or rehoming the one you have. At American National, we understand the tried-and-true farm and ranch lifestyle, and what's important to you is important to us. You deserve an insurance plan custom-made to meet all the specific needs of your agribusiness operation. American National offers flexible farm and ranch policies with package options to help better protect your livelihood. We're right by your side. For more information and to connect with a local American National agent, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition. Are they? I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Hug Your Money. Financial coaching coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely. We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a Hug Coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit HugYourMoney.com. The Valley and the world's favorite octogenarian rock and roll chorus goes over the hill. Young at Heart Chorus celebrating their 40th anniversary this Sunday, 3 p.m. Academy of Music, Northampton. Celebrate 40 years of Young at Heart with new reinterpretations of their most iconic songs from their repertoire throughout the last 40 years. 
From the concert halls of Northampton to the silver screen with an award-winning documentary to tours all over the globe, Young at Heart and their music is beloved. Celebrate their 40th anniversary with them this Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m., Academy of Music. Tickets, aomtheater.com. Young at Heart Chorus's 40th anniversary concert this Sunday, the Academy of Music. What's the matter with me? This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back uh, with Glenn Siegel and his guest, who is uh, Ron, uh, is opening the um, the jazz piano series called The World of Pianos, Lafayette Gilchrist. But before we um, move there, I just wanted to say tomorrow, this is, is American Indian uh, History Month. We're going to have Peter DeRico tomorrow discussing his new book, The Legal Entrapment of Indigenous People. And um, he uh, famously litigated U.S. versus Dan, an uh, important, um, in, in the saga of mistreatment of uh, indigenous people in this country, it's an important case, a federal case that we will be talking about. After that, fair play with Duke Goldman. Um, uh, baseball historian Duke Goldman is going to be looking at the move to unionize the minor leagues in this country, and he's going to have with him a guest who is also a member of Sabre, a, a um, uh, baseball historian and writer, who is going to say, uh, I disagree with you, Duke. We shouldn't be unionizing. So that's going to be make for interesting radio. Mm. But we're back with Glenn Siegel. Um, so back to Lafayette. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, um, Lafayette. Um, your compositions have graced the soundtracks of David Simon's acclaimed series, The Wire and The Deuce and Treme. Um, tell us about how that relationship came about and what you contributed. Oh, well, um, with David, with David, I, 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 what happened was um, his girlfriend heard an NPR piece on me. Mm-hmm. And kind of said, "Why don't we have this guy on the wire?" And so David, David, I was on tour with David Murray mm-hmm. at the time, so I didn't know anything about about it. But after I got off the road, I was approached with a, 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 a an agreement to to use a segment of the music and stuff. And then I started um, I started teaching his kid uh, piano lessons, Ethan. So then we developed a a pretty tight relationship, you know. Uh-huh. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, he's a major, major uh, director. He's like cream of the crop. Yeah, I like David, man. Yeah, he's, that's he's, nice that you have a, not only work for him, but have a personal relationship with him. Yeah, I used to teach his kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah lessons and stuff. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And do you still write for TV? Do you have any other? Have you done any of that apart uh, from? No, no, okay. no. no. Yeah. Cool. So, um, so you're playing solo tonight. Um, tell us how you approach a solo concert. How do you prepare for it? Do you have a set list? Do you uh, mm-hmm. I, wing it? Well, no. I try not to wing it. Uh, I try. I come prepared. Um, but I also come prepared to to be to be f- uh, flexible, you know. So really, I I try to I try to prepare myself 
um, to 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 be able to feel and connect with the room. You know, so like uh, like I, I I have a rough idea what I'm gonna play, but I'll know what I'm gonna play when I see who, who walks through the door and I get a feel for the okay. people, and then. Our age and ethnicity? No, or? nothing like that. No, 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 no. Something, no, some way more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, just just who folk are. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just relaxing the evening together. You know, yeah. we're going to get together on these sounds. You know, I want us to get together on the sounds. I mean, I'm going to be come to play for you. You know, certainly want to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, like I said, when I I'll know what I'm going to play when I see and feel the audience. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love well, I'm that. not judging anybody by this. I walk through the door. <laughs> I think some operas on the right. No, 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 Some polka music. No, 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 nothing like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're big polka country around here. By the way, you should know. Is, is, yeah, is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. <laughs> you can play a waltz. We'll know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, you know, one of the things I love about your your music is how many stylistic barriers it it uh, eradicates or jumps over. Um, and you know, people get so hung up on style, and you know, people put musicians into boxes. How do you think about styles? Um. Well, I mean. not really all that many of them. Uh-huh. But you people, know, to, you know, yeah, you I know, know, reference Barrel House and Stride and Ragtime well, and Bob. But I feel like, I f- the reason I said what I just said is not to me, because jazz is still such a young art. Mm. You know, it's it's only, it's like barely 100 years old. Mm-hmm. That's young. It's really young for an art. So, what I try to do is is just is just embrace my life, my lifetime, and with an appreciation for you know what produced my lifetime, which will have to be in the past. You know, so it just seems natural for me um, to reach back. You know, in order to to reach forward, but I've never tried to to to, to mimic any style. Mm-hmm. You know, my my idea has always been that they're all part of one thing, and the one thing is is how the individual processes all of that information. I mean, it's you, a lot of your your music is a product of your life experiences. Is that what you're saying? Yes, in part. Yeah, yeah, in part. Like, um, in terms of just how, just just like how. I've been able to funnel and process like all the different kind of musics that I've heard and you know been exposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, the nice thing about an improvisation thing is is it allows me to to organize that 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 information in unique ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're starting to wrap up here, but uh, tell us about uh, an upcoming project or idea that you have that's exciting to you. Uh, well, I have something coming up in February. Um, I think it's going to be for Black History Month. I'm going to do um, a program of unpublished Herbie Nichols compositions. Mm, we love Herbie Nichols here yeah. on Take Five. Yeah, yeah David Murray. Well, well, David Murray gave me for my birthday 
last year a book, um, and I think Roswell Rudd uh, published these these um, unpublished works, previously unpublished works mm -hmm. of Herbie Nichols. And I should just interject quickly that Herbie Nichols was a great pianist and composer, very underappreciated, kind of a peer of Thelonious Monk, um, who made just two or three records in his lifetime, but has now gained uh, so much appreciation throughout the jazz world. Yeah, those two or three records are pretty, to this day, still pretty mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. I wish we did. I have to interrupt only because we only have 30 more seconds. So mm -hmm. it, you can get tickets for the Piano Jazz. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's go, Glenn. Let's tell them about oh, it. Oh, yeah. No, uh, tickets are uh, available at the door, but also in advance uh, through the Northampton uh, Center for the Arts website, which is nohoarts.org. It's at 33 Holly Street. 33 Holly Street at 730. It's at 730, a really ridiculously reasonably priced, and you can get tickets for either this extraordinary musician who's with us today, Lafayette Gilchrist, or for this series. And Lafayette, thank you so much for joining oh, thank us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're going to go. I'm just honored to have you. Aboard. Oh, it's so nice to be here. I'm looking forward. I'm ready plotting my next show. All right. And uh, we'll go out with some Lafayette Gilchrist. happening here in the valley we're talking about it modest very minimal increase in the police budget largely uh due to just regular contractual um obligations live and local is nothing news and like talk for northampton and the valley since 1950 whmp northampton whmq greenfield a northampton radio group station